Our scripture this morning is taken from 2 Peter 2, 17 through the first verse of the third chapter. <clears throat> These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For, quote, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them, end quote. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed onto them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, Lord, thank you for your word. We ask that you to guide us now as we discuss it, Lord. Bless this time. Give us all listening ears to hear what your spirit would say to each one of us. Bless this time, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, thank you again, Lauren. That was beautiful. And uh, <laughs> my heart was moved as I heard you sing. Um, you know, Many times you hear people say that, you know, all religions teach the same thing. And uh, whenever people say that, I think, do you really know what you're talking about? Uh, because I even group religions and philosophies because they're all about, you know, they're all speaking about what, you know, what is the purpose of life? Why are we here? What are we supposed to do? You know, how do I understand God, the, the world, all, the per all those things together? And they actually, you know, are completely different usually and have very little agreement once you look into them. They, they have completely different ways of understanding uh, if, it's, if it's God, us, purposes, life, everything, what happens afterwards. What's the exception is when they have commonalities. That's actually interesting. And usually it's around ethical kind of stuff. Um, I was gonna say like one of the commonalities of a lot of religions and philosophies is they say things like, do not murder. And you're like, oh, well, great. I'm so glad that you have a commonality on that one, you know, which is not a terribly amazing thing. Now, this one that we put up here with these, like take three, these three groups here, gospel, uh, Buddhism, Stoicism. And I use the gospel rather than Christianity because Christianity becomes like this, almost like this institution kind of thing. We're talking about the good news. Now, these three philosophies uh, or ways of thinking about life are actually very different. I mean, one, you know, is ancient Greece, one is, you know, in the Far East and the other, you know, Judeo-Christian, but they have an interesting overlap. Um, and a place of overlap of all of them is they would say, your desires are a big problem. Basically, your, your desires wreak all kind of havoc in your life and you can't do what your desires say. And you can, you can pull it down. And and uh, which is interesting because today, you know, for instance, we're living in a culture which 
you know, thinks about your desires, but as ways of saying your desires are this, you know, key place of who you are, you need to obey them. In fact, you know, self, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like self-enlightenment or self-actualization comes from, you know, deeply coming in tune with your desires and freely living them out. But the, you know, Peter's dealing with this in his letter and he's saying, well, hold on, that is not what real freedom's about. Because it's, it's, it's really say, what is the path to freedom? In it and they and say no that's not what it is and again we're in our in our uh going back to second peter again in our series the pursuit of faith and one of the big things peter gets at is you know once we come to faith in jesus there's now a pathway out before us that we are to pursue and um and he's you know he's in a situation here where they're telling him a pursuit of faith he said this is not the correct pursuit you know, we're in the second Sunday in Lent, and as we talked about last week, in many ways, Lent is not about denying ourselves things. I think sometimes the wrong understanding of Lent is, what do I not do? Rather than saying, no, actually, the way to think about Lent is it's geared towards Easter and towards the resurrection, towards that new life, and uh, celebrating the incredible victory over death and the, the promise of new life, which he promises for all of us, and asking, what stops me, inhibits me? from living into that full freedom that God has for us and that resurrection life he has for us. And Lent's a time where we try to get in touch with those things. What's stopping that flourishing of life, that true freedom? And our passage today is, it's debating one issue, that very issue there. What is that freedom? How do you walk in that freedom? That's what we're going to talk about today. Initially, we'll talk about what was the false freedom that was being promised by these teachers and what was so problematic about it. And then secondly, what is the real freedom? What is biblical freedom? Because you know, some biblical freedom is a different understanding of freedom than our culture has. It's a very different idea. You know, what is it, you know, from the Bible standpoint, what is it to be free? And then lastly, how do our desires play into that freedom? How do they relate? Because it's not necessarily the way you would think. So um, talking about the false freedom, true freedom, and our desires and freedom, as we talk about today. So starting with false freedom. So as we, uh, in the, as we talked about last week, there's all these false teachers that came into the church there. And that's the scary thing is what we know about these false teachers, they were actually in the church. They were people who were confessing believers in Jesus, which is kind of scary. You're thinking, wait, wait, all these people are teaching false and dangerous stuff, which they even the language here is they are, you know, in, under condemnation now. You're like, and, and so people get really upset about that and debating that way. People who are, they're, they're followers of Jesus and now they're being condemned. You know, what uh, you can imagine, I thought, you know, that can't happen. And we're not going to get into a whole uh, theology of salvation. I mean, what happened to these people? But what we do know is there are people who were in the church, in the community of the church, they were confessing believers, but they were not right with God. You know, it sounds like, you know, there'll be of those of who Jesus said, they'll say, Lord, Lord, to me on that day. And I'll say, I never knew you. But uh, whatever we understand about them, they are people who are teaching things that are really bad and dangerous. And we can know that that's actually happened in the church back then. It's happened in the history of the church. If people are confessing believers and whether they know it or not or don't, they're teaching things which are very much against what God says. And I think we, I think we all know there's a lot of that stuff today as well. That just because someone calls the name of Jesus, everything they say is not necessarily true or right and can actually be very dangerous as it is here. So what do we know about these teachers um, 
you know, it's interesting. It talks about a couple different things that are happening that are probably leading to their teaching before we even get into their teaching. I mean, they, there's hinted at greed in the midst of this. Um, and greed's interesting. You know, it's, uh, as Paul says, it's a root of all kinds of evil, you know, and, and uh, money gets in the way. You know, was that in the back of their mind Did that push them towards this stuff? Hard to know, but you could see from this that they were actually making money from this, these teachings somehow. And the second big piece they talk about is how they relate to the authority of God. They mentioned this language a couple times here. You can look on the slide on that. They said, you know, they were, they're denying the sovereign Lord. And that word sovereign is like their master Lord. They're, uh, uh, and, and they despise authority, which is this very uh, interesting thing that comes up a number of places because it's saying that they kind of, um, they, uh, there's this idea that, you know, when I follow Jesus, right? Some people say it's just to believe in Jesus, but Believing in Jesus is actually a way onto a pathway of following him. It's to re-accept him as Lord and we as his servants. And slave language actually gets used a lot. But the idea that uh, God is our master, he's everybody's master. And to come back to him, to get back on the path is to acknowledge him as Lord. And saying what is happening with these teachings is they're not actually uh, obeying the authority of God. I mean, look at some of this language here where he says what happens to these people is you, you've strayed from the path of righteousness, as they would say, the way of righteousness. It says, if they've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord Jesus, you know, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? So they know him, but they're again entangled in it and are overcome. They're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known, again, this is the way. The way is this great language of, the, of what it means to follow Jesus. We're on the way the way of righteousness than to have known it and turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. And so this is this, uh, they had known the way of righteousness, but they're denying the authority, they're no longer following him and they've fallen off of it. And so that's this, uh, and that's an important thing for us to understand too. It's not just, you know, believing in Jesus, it's not saying, well, do you believe or do you not believe? No, belief is a way into a way of life of following him and onto this path of righteousness that God calls us to. And that's really what the book of Second Peter is about, living and pursuing on that path. So what was some of the stuff they were teaching, you know, that was so uh, away from the authority of God and so off the path of righteousness? Well, if you look at the number of these verses, you can see, oh, I think I get the idea here. It talks about their depraved conduct. It says those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh, they are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight, their blocks and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you with eyes full of vulture, they never stop sitting by peeling. Again, this is the key thing, to the lustful desires of the flesh. So this appears to be a big thing, this, the flesh idea and sensuality and sex and and, uh, and they're sort of, you know, must be promoting something. And you can imagine how the teaching kind of goes. It's kind of like, well, you know, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He's forgiven us. And so therefore, it kind of doesn't matter what we do in our bodies. And some of the things you'd be, well, you know, your, your bodies are corrupt anyway. So you have freedom to do what you want. He's saying, no, that is not what you're supposed to do. He says, you become like an animal. He says, like, you're an unreasoning beast when you do that. And he uses animal analogy a few times. You know, like you're like a you know, dog that goes back to vomit or a pig that's gone back into the mud. Because, you know, we are as we're both animals, we're spiritual beings and physical beings. We are animal beings, but we're also in the image of God. We're spiritual beings and says, when you just do whatever your fleshly body says to do, you become essentially like an animal. 
you're back that you're just doing things by instinct now. And he says, that's one of the key things that are being taught here. Basically, you know, he says, you, you just, just do whatever your desires tell you to do. And uh, what's happening here, as you can see, um, you know, if you look on the next uh, sort of uh, slide, it says people are following them. It says many are following their conduct and particularly the weak ones. He says, you seduce the unstable. Is they mouth empty words, boast words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. And those two words, seduce and entice, are actually the same Greek word. And it's actually a hunting and fishing term. It's like they lay bait. You know, you're, you're baiting, you're tempting, you're enticing, seducing people. And look who it wants, who are just escaping from those who live in error and unstable people which is really kind of scary. And these are the most vulnerable people, right? People who have just come to him and, and come out of this world. And now they're being seduced back into this world and back into this life. And they are being, the, the kind of condemnation for these teachers is amazing. Remember Jesus said, if you look in the next slide, you know, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. Be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. And that's exactly what's happening. He's, these teachers are coming in there and causing these little ones, these vulnerable ones, to trip and to fall. And that's why it gives this incredible language in 2 Peter. This is, what, this is, again, from our passage. It says, blackest darkness is reserved for them. An incredible language of condemnation for people who have confessed the name of Jesus and come into the church and said, you are actually doing worse. You're making these people worse off than when they started. And the horror of it all. You can pull that down. Uh, oh, right. And says and describes these people. They are like springs without water and mist driven by a storm, which is, it, this is not as powerful language for us because we have water everywhere, but in a culture where water was so critical, where water was life, you know, you're in a desert, you, you, you have a spring and you set up your whole village around that. That's where you'd set up your home, someplace where there's a source of water for your animals, for your plants, for you to drink. And these people are like springs. They look like they're springs, whether you can set up your life around and be fed and nourished, but they don't have any water. That's an amazing kind of picture. And then you see, so, and, and I'll, I'll stop doing so many slides in a moment, but I want you to catch this line because in some ways, this is the most important part when we talk about false freedom and true freedom. This false freedom is, see, they promise them freedom. That's the key thing. They promising them freedom going, this is the path of freedom, sort of obedience to all these, you know, as I say, the, you know, the desires of the flesh and running after those things, freedom to just do this stuff that you're feeling. He goes, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. So he says, you, you actually are not free. You've just become a slave to your own desires. And that's one of the key ideas here. And you want to talk about what different biblical freedom versus the idea of freedom oftentimes in our culture. Freedom in our culture is often thought of as doing whatever you want to do. That choice is the essence of freedom. And choice is not the essence of freedom in a biblical point of view. Freedom, the Bible talks about, is freedom to be the people God has promised us, enabled us to be. Freedom to be what we were created to be. Free to live that flourishing life. And that is not about being able to do whatever we want. 
you know, it's not about choice. It's about actually being able to choose the good, you know, being able to make the choices of that thing which makes us flourish. Because oftentimes our choices aren't to do that. You know, take anybody with a uh, addiction problem, be it um, if it's drugs or alcohol or, or pornography or, uh, you know, internet stuff. What the essence of is they can choose, right, to, to do, you know, they can choose to do that stuff. They have freedom of choice, but the problem is they're not free. They're enslaved to it. They feel like they can't choose the good. They get sucked into the bad. That's part of being in a broken world. We have lost the ability to choose the good. You know, part of this brokenness is we're, we're, we're enslaved to these things. You talk to anyone who has a drug or alcohol problem, they are enslaved to that stuff. They don't trust their desires. Doing whatever my desires say got me into this trouble and it's destroying my relationships, it's destroying my job, it's destroying everything. And I can't stop it. And I want to stop it. They're enslaved to it. Being set free from that enslavement is what the Bible taught, free to live the flourishing life we were intended to live. People in, live in fear of things. They're enslaved. You know, sometimes it's, it's money can be something which enslaves you. You know, you think, I, I, if I don't have enough money, I'm not going to be able to live. That, that, that wanting of that stuff, yeah, you're free to choose to get a job or not a job, to save, to spend, to do whatever you want. But if it entraps you, enslaves you, and you and you and it becomes your master, which you obey, you 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 organize your whole life around getting it, then you're a slave to it. And the idea is that the Bible wants to set you free from those slaveries, and that only happens when Jesus is Lord. When we're Lord and following Him and trusting Him, then we can live that flourishing life of hope and peace and joy and loving and being loved and knowing and being known. Um, you know, think about like a child, right? When is a child able to know that flourishing free life? A lot of it has to do with the home they're in. Is their home safe? Is it secure? Are their parents reflecting, you know, uh, following Jesus and knowing him and, uh, and caring for these kids? Because think about what, what, what you are as a parent, right? You're, all you're trying to do is you're not trying to get these kids to obey things or to do different things. You want them to be able to flourish, to be who God has made them to be. And listen, I know all of us mess up as parents because we are broken as well. But I want you to imagine when the parenting is the way it's supposed to be. And that child is fully being formed into all that God has made him to be. And then they're flourishing and they have that freedom and that joy and that ability to become who God has made them to be. But does that mean they can do whatever they want? Absolutely not. It's the opposite right? You, you're actually helping them to choose what's good and right. A home where children can do whatever they want is a place where they don't flourish. Kids often are either fearful of limits or, or caught into these, all these kind of terrible habits that they're kind of growing that are actually hurting them ultimately. And uh, either they're fearful or even they, they've made the parents, uh, either in, in the parents either become like dictators over them and control them, or they become you know, basically the servants of the children which is not good for the children, right? Because they, again, they throw off authority, right? And so this idea that flourishing comes not by being able to do whatever you want, but by being able to do what you were made to do. That's the idea of biblical freedom. And it's not individualistic thing as well. Our freedom is so individualistic in our country. Um, you know, the biblical flourishing and freedom happens in community, actually. You're with others and we all fit together. All of our gifts and abilities and desires are actually meant to serve others, that we find freedom in a laid down life as Jesus did, right? Where Jesus talks about, um, you know, uh, where's where that great verse? I think, 
I might have messed up um, on my PowerPoint. But it says that uh, you know, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down out of his own accord and his own freedom. You can put it down, Dan. It's okay, Dan. And, um, but Jesus said, no one takes my life. But in freedom, he lays it down in service. And we actually are always laying down our lives for others. And that's where we find true freedom. Any relationship you have, you have to deny things you want. Do you notice that? Any relationship, if it's a marriage, if it's a school, if it's a church community, if it's a group of friends, it always means that you have to say no to things that you kind of want. But it's not, doesn't have to be a denial because what you want is the flourishing of that whole group of people. And if you're in a situation where in a relationship where you never have to say no to yourself, then basically you've just made everybody else servants of you. Or else if you, if it's always about you, guess what? You're probably going to be alone, you know, most likely because any live in that, but always, that's the flourishing free life, a life with others, caring for others, living fully that life that God has made for us. Again, it's that resurrection life, right? So let's see, how, how do our desires then play into it? Does that mean we just deny our desires all the time? No, it doesn't. Uh, and and this is where we get a big difference. Now you can we'll we'll hit that one in a bit. Sorry, I my my PowerPoint was desperately confusing, and so I apologize to the people trying to do it. But um, we're talking about desires again. When we talked about the start, like with uh, Buddhism, Stoicism, and the Gospel, all saying that desires cause you problems. Now what's interesting is. You know, once you scratch below the surface of that little agreement, they actually are not in agreement about desires. That's the thing also, again, with religions and philosophies, they don't teach the same stuff. Once you get a little deep, you realize it's very different. Because Stoicism, Buddhism would say, yeah, your, your uh, desires cause you problems. You know what the solution is? Don't have them. You know, you want to escape the suffering of the world in Buddhism, and you want to be truly transcend the suffering and the hardship of the world. Stop desiring. Your desires cause you problems if you want nothing. And you become essentially this almost this neutral being without anything. And there's an element of truth to that, right? How many times when, if you could say, you know, you don't want those things, you're kind of set free from them. So that, that's true. And stoicism also similarly, denial of your, you know, don't, you know, just be stoic, right? No desires. But the Bible's thoroughly different. The Bible says your desires are a gift from God. They're part of the way God has made you to be. And our desires are part of this flourishing. So you're thinking, hold on, wait, if my desires cause me problem and they cause me flourishing? Well, what the Bible would say is that you're, the problem is not that you have desires, but that your desires are bent. They're broken. They don't work right. You know, they, they, they begin to function, right? But then you've, they're kind of messed up. Like, you know, take a, uh, you know, food and drink, right? We're talking about alcoholics or something like that, right? You know, the Bible often describes <laughs> wine, like my cup overflows. Is a, it's a symbol of blessing and joy. You know, Jesus made water into wine as a symbol of the kingdom of God and the incredible blessings flourishing. Food and drink are things to be enjoyed and feasted with in the presence of God. But then they become also the very same things. It says you become a drunkard and stuff like that. And it, it actually it has entrapped you. So something that was meant for flourishing got bent, it got twisted. And though that's what it would say, you know, as C.S. Lewis said, we're like uh, people going down a road to a castle, but we stop off at a mud hut on the side, you know? And we, so we've kind of like, we've missed the very purposes of these desires. You know, uh, you know also like for instance, material world, right? 
the material world is a blessing from God. You know, I, 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 when I first became a believer, you know, I still had a lot of the Buddhism stuff in my head. And I remember uh, my, my boss at Juice Reese and my mentor would say, man, you're only happy when you're on your knees eating rice out of a wood bowl. It's like you think you're righteous when you've denied all this different stuff. And he goes, that is not the biblical way. And he was so right. You know, I was in this sense of, oh, living for God is this total thing of self-denial. It's like, no, flourishing. God, God has made this creative being. He's, he's made this creative world. You know, when I go into the back and want to make a beautiful backyard, I'm actually, the image of God is working in me as a creator. And I'm creating things when I'm at work and I'm creating things and designing things and making things or making a beautiful home. You're, you're really playing out part of your uh, godly desires. But those things become twisted, don't they? Materialism gets so twisted where you start wanting more and more things just because other people have them and you're not content in it at all. And you always want more and more and more. And you're never happy with what you have. It's twisted. I mean, how many people, you know, with money have more money they know what to do with, and then they end up still wanting more somehow, and they end up destroying their lives as a result. It's a twisted desire. Uh, and here's the sensual stuff as well. You know, sex is this amazing gift from God. I mean, it takes two people and binds them together as one in a covenant union and new life. Children can come from that union. So it's actually the way in which God brings new life into the world. What an amazing thing. That is not to be denied, but yet it gets twisted. It's become such a problem for so many people in so many ways, hasn't it? I mean, we know there's so much sexual pain out there in the world, but it's a twisted desire. And so in our, in our flourishing, we're trying to get these desires now straight and used for the proper flourishing means. Right. And then as we go back to Lent again, right, this is one of the things that we bring before God. You know, during Lent, it says, okay, God, what is keeping me from living that flourishing life of freedom you have for us? And it's not denying your desires. Part of that is get in touch going, Lord, what's happening in my heart? What's causing me to fear? What's causing, what's restricting me? What's sucking me? Where, where are my masters that I put up? You know, things that I think I need to obey to follow. You know, where are my fears? I mean, COVID's created so much fear. It's restricted our freedom in those ways. You know, it makes us want to run to all these different masters, right? Who's going who's gonna to set me free now? You know, that's one of the troubling things sometimes about the way people talk about all the COVID stuff and the vaccines and all that. It's not that, you know, that God could make us as creators who can heal us and do these amazing technological things. It's that people begin to run to them and they live in fear and they treat them like saviors. Those are the kind of troubling things about this. And we, we bring it to God. You may say, you know, yeah, you want... I mean, I don't want to get into political stuff and the vaccine and stuff, but I'm just, all I'm saying is that we want to have open hearts and say, God, you are our healer. You're the one I trust. You're the one I walk with. You're the one who's provided for me. Where are my fears? Where are my hopes? Where are my desires messed up for the wrong things? And we open up and give that to God. And now many of us would say, and, and there's, a, there's a scary part because you think, gosh, Lord, my desires are too strong. And, and in a point, they will never get totally straightened out till we're face-to-face -face in heaven. We're in a broken world. They're always going to be twisted to a point. But one of the first things Peter says, and that is that first verse there, if you want to pop it up, that he begins his whole letter by telling people his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need for the godly life. Meaning, he's saying... This pathway, this pursuit of faith you've set before you, God has given what you need to do it. When you open up before him and you're letting and think, oh, Lord, I, got, I can't do this. I can't live that flourishing life. 
Peter's saying, yes, you can. You know, through his divine power, through the Holy Spirit, you can live that life which God is calling you to. Whatever it is, whatever that life is God is calling you to, he's given you the power to live it out. And uh, that's why Lent's this amazing time too. Lord, what's happening in my heart? What are the things that are inhibiting me from living that life? Where are my, my fears, my struggles? Where are the things I want getting in the way of this? Where am I trusting in things that aren't you? Lord, take these things from me and through your Holy Spirit, cleanse me of them and help me to live that flourishing life you have for us, to live into the freedom, that true freedom to be all that you've made us to be. Let's pray. Ah, oh, Lord, we, uh, we thank you, Father. We thank you for the that, that promise, Lord, that you have given us what we need to live the life you've called us to. Oh, Lord, show us our own idols. Show us the, the thing, our masters that we've set up in our own hearts that cause us so much havoc, Lord. It creates so much fear and anxieties and worries and take our eyes from you. Oh, Lord, I pray you will cleanse us of those things and help us to live that life that you have called us to, to take hold of the true freedom, Lord, that you want us to walk in, the freedom of that way of righteousness, that path of godliness that you've set before us. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.